I want to give you just a quick brief reminder about Nehemiah. Um, uh, it's actually, it's, it's one of two books in the, in the Bible, but really should be there as one book because they're very much working together. So Ezra and Nehemiah go together. The Jews, uh, the people of God, are, have been taken into exile. This is right near the end of the Old Testament. All the things that you would know and recognize, all the great stories of the Old Testament have happened almost by this account. And then they'd been taken off by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And Ezra tells us the story that God had begun to move the hearts of various kings, such as Cyrus, to allow the people to begin to go back to Jerusalem. And particularly Ezra picks up about the rebuilding of the temple. It's, no long, it's never going to be the great temple that Solomon had built, but they are going to attempt to try and rebuild something of a temple. Some people had gone back. They're trying to literally pick up the pieces, but it was very challenging and there's lots of opposition. It all gone very slowly. Now, Nehemiah is a, one of these God-fearing men. He has a significant position. He's cupbearer to the king. You can't get anything more highly trusted. If you were going to poison the king or kill off the king, then the cupbearer would be it, really. He gets to basically eat and drink anything that goes anywhere near the king. So it's a highly trusted role. But as we hear this wonderful phrase, God's hand is with him. What happens is one day meets up with his brothers, uh, his brother and some friends who've just come back from the area around Jerusalem, and he hears that the city is in total ruin. Although people are trying, nothing is really being repaired. The gates are burned. They could be invaded and overpowered from any direction. And his first thing, his first reaction when he hears the state of the city is to is to is to weep to get on his knees and weep before God. This is the city of God, the city of King David. This is the place of promise, the place where the great temple that Solomon built, where the Ark of the Covenant was brought, where the dwelling of God was with men, where God came down in all his glory, where the presence of God was so great that the priests could not even perform their duties. And now it's desecrated and destroyed, literally raised to the ground. As Nehemiah, it says, Nehemiah broke down and wept. He mourned and he fasted and he cried out to God. First of all, he declares the greatness of God. Then he, declare, he declares God's nature and God's character. His, 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 his covenant love to his people. He recognizes his own sin. Recognizes this is a result of his own sin and the sin of his, his people. And he, he cries out in repentance to God about that. And then he begins to remind God, not because God has forgotten uh, anything, um, but it's it's as a a declaration, really, a declaration. Father God, you know, God, it's always your heart to gather. It's always your heart to bring people back. And that's one thing we need to keep reminding. It's in the heart of God to gather and bring back, even those who are far off. Maybe some of you know family members who are far off. Maybe you've got history, uh, uh, you've been far off yourself. It's the heart of God to gather. It's always the heart of God to bring back. And Nehemiah, as it were, declares in remembrance, he reminds God that, that he's, a, he's a God who wants to have intimate relationship with his people. He reminds him of his promi- uh, promises, covenant promises, And he cries out to God for that relationship to be restored. And he finishes by asking God that he would grant him a favor. And it says, I was cupbearer to the king. God had already been working his purposes out. He'd been positioning Nehemiah for that moment. You may remember some weeks ago we talked about how God positions us in his purposes. He's a sovereign God. And he had positioned Nehemiah for this moment And he's given favor by the king because the king asks him a great question. What is it you want? What is it you want? And it's a question that actually I believe God would say to us. What is it you want? Are we ready to actually tell God what is it that we want? And so Nehemiah is very brave because it's not the sort of thing you do as a cupbearer. You keep your mouth shut other than to drink the wine. Um, um, But he asks Nehemiah if he can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. 
And as I'm on a roll, and he, he risks it a bit, could I have a document for safety? Could I have a safety travel document? And also, could I go to your forest and get all the wood that I need? And then he just slips in at the end, could I, could I build a small house for myself as well? And it says, the gracious hand of our God was with us. It's this wonderful phrase, because the king granted all of his requests. Now, we're well aware that as a church, there's a significant vision before us. We know that uh, a year ago, uh, Rodney prophesied and gave us that great 10-year word. Many of you live with vision and desire to see the purposes of God here in cows and to see the kingdom of God come. And individually, there are things that we long for. And just to tell you, privately, um, uh, Angela said to me, she said, you know, the hand of God is on your church. She didn't mean my church, she meant this church. She said, the hand of God's there. She's just the sense of God. And you think, thank you, Lord. And we we ask for stories in these days where we can say the hand of our God was with us. Amen? That's what we're looking for. Well, what does that mean? How does that work? Well, as he arrives, first thing he does is he goes around and inspects. He goes and looks at the work. And I, I feel a sense in which... Certainly for me, since I've been here, there's been a bit of a going round, looking at the work, just getting to know each other, you getting to know me, me getting to know you, us as a, uh, God working in us as a team and as a church. And, and now there's a, there's a sense in which I feel with that 10th anniversary, it's like, right, come on, we're stepping in. And I said that a couple of Sundays ago, and I, I feel that's where we're at at the moment. And even the Holy Spirit coming on us last week, it's like, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to work through you. And so he goes around and then he gathers the people. He tells them about the gracious hand of his God upon him. And they respond with faith. That's what's so wonderful. They respond with faith. And they say, come on, let's get going. Let's start rebuilding. And it's estimated that approximately 40 teams of people built two and a half miles of wall in 52 days. Okay, 40 teams of people, two and a half miles of wall in 52 days. Now I'm going to read the names of the people that are involved and then we'll talk about why that is so important and highlight some of the lessons. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as Nehemiah says, we thank you that you've called us to be about a great work. Lord, you've not said to us to be tucked away in a corner, out of sight, out of mind. Lord, we recognize there is a darkness in our world. And yet, Lord, we know that you've said, Lord Jesus, let your light shine before men. And it's a great work. It's a challenging work. It's not without its opposition. But Lord, we pray today, would you help us to recognize our part, the part that you've called each one of us to play in working with you to see the kingdom of God breaking in more and more, to see the church of Jesus Christ being raised up, to see people being saved and added. So Lord, we pray, speak to us by your Spirit today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, are you ready for this? I've got it written out so I can read my own and read the size of it, okay? These are the names of the builders of the wall. Eliashayeb, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanael. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hascock, repaired the next section. Next to him, Mishalam, son of Berechiah, the son of Misha Ezelabul, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Ban-Anna, made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jess Hannah gate was repaired by Joada, son of Parsia, and Mashalam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon and Mizpah. Malatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Merinoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Aziel, son of Ha-Ha-Haiah, one of the goldsmiths, 
repaired. The next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of Ahath district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Harampath, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Melkajah, son of Haram, and Hasab, son of Pathan Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Shelem, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits, about 150 meters, of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by a hero, Melkajar, son of Rehikab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors and, with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kalohaziah, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over, putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the, pool, the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. He did that so that Melchizedek could go and wash. Beyond him, beyond him, Nehemiah, a different one, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half-district of Bethzur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and the house of heroes. Next to him, repairs were made by Levites under Rehum, son of Bani, Beside him, Hashabaniah, ruler of half-district of Kela, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Binui, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half-districts of Kela. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle wall. Next to him, Barak, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle of the entrance of the house of Elisheb, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hascox, repaired another section from the entrance of Elisheb's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hasub made repairs in front of their house. Next to them, Azariah, son of Marciah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs to his house, beside his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle on the corner. And Palau, son of Uzziah, worked opposite the angle and the tower, projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guards. Next to him, Pedaiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate towards the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shekaniah, the guard of the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelamiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zeplap, repaired another section. Next to them, Mishalam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Melkajar, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room and above the corner, the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. And so we rebuilt the wall, chapter 4, until all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Amen. (laughs) Why on earth, Mark, would you take five minutes to read that? Because it's in the Bible... That's a good enough reason for reading it. Because all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training God's right ways. Why, though, would you read all of that? Why is it important sometimes to read that and not to skip through? Well, I'm going to show you for the next few minutes why. But the first thing I want to say to you is this. They were real People just like you. Real people with real names, real families. And in fact, the truth is, there's a whole bunch of people who are not named there. Because if you look carefully, 
some of them are representatives of a whole group of people and you only get one name and it says on behalf of some others. These are real people, just like you and I, and they worked side by side. I want to get into some detail in just a moment, but I, I want to highlight something here that I feel is so important as we, as we look at a chapter like this and as we think about what God is calling us to as a church, what he's calling to us to as a people, and it's this, we need each other. Amen? We need each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one body, many parts. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, sometimes we may have felt someone has said that to us. I want to bring you back to Scripture. Whatever somebody may have said, what does Scripture say? You are needed. You are needed. In fact, you are vital. Because without you, the body is not whole. Some of us, on the other hand, have dismissed ourselves. So some of us may have had someone say, oh, you're not needed. Or you may feel that someone has said you're not needed. But some of us, we've dismissed ourselves. I want to say to you, if you're an I and you're saying, I'm not important or I don't really need to be there or I'm just going to remove myself, the body is without that I or hand or foot or whatever it might. We need each other. On the contrary, just to continue, uh, Ephesians uh, 1 Corinthians 12, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What 1 Corinthians 12 says. Parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We need each other. We need each other. Um, and a wonderful little note from Dave Norris this week. So encouraging, Dave. Thank you for that. He just was reflecting and he'd been reading uh, chapter 3 of Nehemiah and he was reminded of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and, uh, 15 and 16, where the Apostle Paul is talking about being the body of Christ, which of course, is, again, we're saying it's us as the church. And when it, it says there in, in, in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, each part working properly makes the body grow. That's what makes the body grow, is each part works together. And in the same way, as they work side by side, these walls grew quickly. So a couple of things that I just want us to note about this as we just look at this overview before I pull out one or two of the individuals, is that I want to say this, you're never isolated if you're building with others. If you build with others, you're not going to be isolated. When you come alongside each other, there is a friendship that grows. There's a partnership. There's a relationship when you build with others. And I want you to notice, and I've said to Malcolm, have a look around in the verses, but Malcolm, please don't try and find these. (laughs) Um, But you'll find, if you look through, it says, beside, adjoining, next to, next to them, beside this one and that one. These are literally, they are shoulder by shoulder. They are working side by side. There, there is, there. I know that I've seen this. I've seen it. I know it in my own life, but I've seen it pastorally in many years across the church. People get isolated when they stop building. When they say, when they step out and say, "Oh, I don't know if I've got a part. I don't know if I've got a place." Now we need to help one another to find our place, absolutely. But they get isolated when they stop building with others. When they stop worshipping, they begin to remove themselves from worship. They're no longer around in the worship. They don't go to life group anymore or they, they're never seen at the prayer meetings or just occasionally they're, they're in church. But it, it becomes more and more rare and that isolation comes. As we come together, we need each other. We need to build with one another. The other thing I want to point out with this as a more broad theme is that no one person gets the job done. No one person. It requires team. Lots of team. And fundamentally, we believe, I believe in team. I I just want to say this. Sometimes people refer to me as pastor. I want to say I really don't mind. Um, I'm daunted by the title, but, but I know the heart. 
But we, we actually, as a movement, as a family, as a church, we don't believe in, in the elevation of one individual. We just don't believe in that. We believe in team, in relationship, in, in the priesthood of all believers. Now, there are moments when you need a bit of a team leader. You do need someone to take the, the, the final decision. There are moments for that, of course. But actually, we, we, we're, we're in relationship together. We're working together. So that's why it's so important. When we have a badge that says prayer team, and we do have a badge that says prayer team, that doesn't mean that the rest of us can't pray. And that's why I'm always a bit nervous about having any badges of any sort. Duncan and I were chatting about that last week and praying about it. The problem with badges is, oh, that's them. They're the badged ones. They get to do it. I'm over here. Either I haven't been given a badge or I'm not allowed to have a badge or whatever it might be. And we isolate ourselves. You're hearing me? It's why, actually, the Bible says you can all prophesy. You can all pray for one another. So we just need to be careful with badges. We just need to be careful that we don't put people in the wrong place in profile. Now, there are gifts. That's a subject for another time. If I get through my notes today, it will be a miracle. Anyway. Um, But church is team. And teams are very dynamic. I just want to mention a thing about teams. Because again, I'm going to speak very personally here now. I'm a team, I like being in teams, and I like being invited to be on a team. I'm one of these people that when I was a kid at school, I didn't get picked for the teams, okay? So, you know, you'd stand there, pick me, pick me. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Come on, that's all right. Um, But, you know, when they were doing the old, yeah, I'll have you, I'll have you, I'll have you, I used to be the one that normally was at the end of the queue. Um, There were reasons for that. But anyway, we won't go into that. But, so I've always been keen to be on teams. And and in church life, and and particularly in wider church life, there are times when you think, oh, I'm going to be picked for a team. And I've had to really process and work this through. Because I've come to places and times where I've been on a team for some reason or other, and then for all the good, godly, right reasons, I'm no longer on that team. I tell you what, processing that is a challenge. It's hard. Because I was on the team. And now I'm not on the team. I was the assistant pastor. Now I'm nothing. I I was an elder in that church. Now I I haven't got that title. Question, does that stop me being an elder? I don't believe it does. It's not about the title. It's about who I am. But I, I've had to work that one through. So when I, I get together with two other brothers and they say to me, do you know what, at the moment in this church, we don't think you are an elder. I'm inside devastated and distraught. I have to go to God and I have to work that through. Lord, who am I in you? You think, well, what's this all got to do with this? It's about team. So I want you to pray, particularly, specifically, because this week I've been invited to go and sort of join a team, going up to Derbyshire, gathering with some other leaders, and we're going to have some teaching and some input. And so easily, I've, had, I, I've thought to myself, I get to be on this team now. New front regions beyond, I'm in this team. All right, they've, they've called it ABC this week. Apostolic Boot Camp is what it is. <laughs> I'm half terrified and half excited. But it's like... You know, Steve Oliver's written me an email, and I can say, now I'm on this team. Do you know what I know about Regions Beyond? It's highly likely that next week I will not be on that team. <laughs> not because I said I've done anything wrong, because stuff changes all the time. And if I put my position, if I put my security in being on that team, and somebody says, oh, actually, we're going to send such, such and such to bless that church. Uh, wait, you know, could you just carry on doing what you're doing? Absolutely, I'll carry on doing what I'm doing. I just feel there's some things here we just need to hear. It's not about my title. It's not about the team I'm on. Because teams are dynamic. They change all the time. They change, and they constantly change. So no one person gets it done. So please, let's not, as, as the church grows and as we get involved in things, let's not feel like, oh, I'm now doing this, so I've made it. Hannah's come to me and she's asked me to lead worship. I've made it now. I'm building the worship team. And then she never asked me to lead worship again. Now, it may be because you were flat, okay? So 
If you were, that's, you know, that's fine. She'll be so nice, she will find it hard to tell you if you were flat. But what I'm trying to say is that different things happen at different times and different seasons, don't they? You know, some of you were right involved. You were, you were right there. You were building the wall of the Pool of Siloam. It's a nice place to be building. Pool of Siloam. I'm there. I'm laying bricks at the Pool of Siloam. And suddenly now, I, I'm fixing up the dung gate. How? Do you know what I want to tell you? Is the dung gate is probably the most important gate in the whole city. Because it's about Sanitation. It's about where, if you think about all the animals that would be in the city, it's where does the manure go? Where does all the bodily fluids go? It has to go out through the dung gate and be disposed of. It's the most important for the health and safety of the city, the dung gate. And yet, Malkajar, you know, it's like, I'd quite like to be doing the Pool of Siloam. You know, that wall over there. So sometimes we can be doing upfront things. Other times we can be doing things that are completely hidden away. I've experienced both of those. And they're just as important. Just as important. The key is the attitude of your heart. It's the attitude of your heart. Now, let's look at some individuals. Oh, Lord, span the time. Um, Let's look at some individuals, all right? Elishayab, or Eliashab, Eliashib. The high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate, verse 1. This will test Malcolm. Verse 22, the repairs next to Merimoth, son of Uriah, were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Verses 17 and 18 talk about repairs being made by the Levites. Okay, they're also part of the priestly order. So you've got priests. These are spiritual people. Okay, these are scholars. These are learned people. They're getting involved. Verse 8 Azel, one of the goldsmiths, repaired a section. Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, repaired next to that. And right at the end of the chapter, verse 31, Malkajar, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And 32, between the room and above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Okay, just want to talk about them for a moment. This is heavy-duty manual labor. I don't want to get into the fine detail, but when an invading army would come to a city like Jerusalem and it says that they were torn down, literally they would burn everything, they would tear the walls down, and as part of their sort of dominance, if you like, of ruling and demonstrating that the place has been completely destroyed, they would defecate on the walls. So this is, this is destroyed, but it's also filthy, it's sooty, and it's covered in unmentionable stuff. These are people with soft hands, delicate sensitivities, perfume makers, goldsmiths. You ever watched a goldsmith? The detail, their hands, and the, you know, the, 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 the detail, the delicacies. These are scholars. What does it say? They threw themselves into the work wholeheartedly. I never forget, I may have told this before, but it bears telling again, a dear man called Sylvester, who is working with Donna in Burundi, out there in, in, in East Africa, and she had the opportunity to take him to one of our African conferences called Master Builders in South Africa. He hadn't traveled very much. He certainly hadn't been into our kind of conference setting. She took him along to the conference. And at the end of the conference, she said to Sylvester, what have you learned? What stood out to you? Now, there's lots of seminars. There's great teaching. There's wonderful worship. And so you're expecting him to talk about one of those things. Do you know what Sylvester said? He said the thing that so profoundly impacted him the leaders put the chairs out. He was blown away. In his context in Burundi, the leaders wouldn't do anything. They'd sit up on a stage with big American chairs with air conditioning and cans of Coke and the people literally in poverty, total poverty and, and, and uh, hunger sat before them. And he's blown away by the fact the leaders put the chairs out. Although, apologies, they're a bit... Close together, Sue, aren't they? Sorry about that. Um, but we'll do, uh, we'll do better next week. <laughs> but 
One of our values, you know that uh, I saw the value book, where is it, floating around here. Um, we have a, a set of values. I know Steve Oliver was very worried about doing a book like this. If you've never seen it, it's there at the back, please take one, but it talks about the values that we share. One of the reasons he's worried about it is because values should never really just be in a book. Values are in our heart. And they are how we work and how we live together and how we work together. But one of the values that you'll find in here is enthusiastically servant-hearted. It's one of our core values. We are called to be servants who die to ourselves for the benefit of others. It's our longing to see this fully modelled in every aspect of life. Okay? So not least in servant leadership. It's great to see how often it mentions... Rulers of this district or rulers of that district getting right involved. And of course, Melkajar, who we've mentioned a couple of times, is the ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem who repaired the Dungrate. Don't you know who I am? I'm a ruler. I get to do the Pool of Siloam gate. I don't want to be doing this Dungate. No. He's a ruler of a district. He sets an example and he gets involved. However, verse 5 does remind us that not everyone always wants to get involved. The nobles of Tekoa. Tekoa, interestingly, is outside. So the men of Tekoa, who built more than one part of the, uh, of the place, are amazing because they're outsiders. They come in to get involved. But the nobles of Tekoa would not put their shoulders to the work under the supervisors. You can almost see these men with their robes and their hats, as it were, walking around. No, we're not. Not. Now, maybe they lack vision. Certainly, they seem to have a self-image problem. They were not prepared to submit under supervision. You do feel this, don't you know who I am kind of attitude, don't you? Just, you can feel it coming through. Again, I just want to remind us of the words of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. The greatest among you will be... Your servant, the least, your servant. Verse, Matthew 23, verse 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Philippians chapter 2. Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to take and use to his advantage, but humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in likeness and appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's our example. That's our example. What strikes you is that each one is faithfully getting on with their bit. Rulers, beside perfume makers, etc., etc. I want to just highlight very, very briefly verse 8. It may be that they, you know, I'm, I'm doing my little bit. I'm, I'm doing my bit here. Um, but there's a clear sense that they've got a vision for the whole. I love, you can miss, you see, when you skim over, you can miss phrases. Did you notice it says, they restored Jerusalem? They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. You say, well, actually, I was doing 450 metres. No, it's Jerusalem. What we're doing here is Jerusalem. I'm, I'm serving tea and coffee afterwards. You're building the church. We need to catch a vision and understand that actually, at times we may feel that we are just doing a small part. We have a small part to play. I'm, I'm only, I'm just I want to say to you, no, you're not just anything. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say, I don't need you. Well, where, where to start? Where to start? Verse 10, Jedediah made repairs opposite his house. Verse 23, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house next to them. Azariah made repairs beside his house. Verse 28, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Zadok, verse 29, made repairs opposite his house. And verse 30, Berechiah made repairs opposite his living quarters. Where to start? Start right in front of you. Literally, pick up a brick, 
you don't know where to get involved, I want to say, what is there right in front of you? Start with your own home. The bricks that are immediately outside your front door. What's the name of your next door neighbour? What, what, are their na- what are their needs right now? What's the name of that elderly lady who lives across the road that you don't see very often? What are her needs? What are you praying for them? How can you serve them? As you open your door, that's a place to start. Right there. In cows. How are we going to see cows reach for the kingdom? What's outside your front door? Literally. That might be a question to ask. Right here in the church, as we think about the church, here we are, we're coming week by week. What, what's right here? There, we've got all sorts of ideas, visions and plans and possibilities. By God's grace, we're looking forward to them unfolding in the weeks and months and years to come. But right now, there are things right in front of us. You might say, but, but Mark, I'm a goldsmith. I was trained. Do you know I was trained as a goldsmith? Do you know that I make this? Do you know I went on this course and that course? And I'd say, do you know what? That is wonderful. But right now, Zoe has 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 local mums who come every week right here into this building. Who wants to come and be a surrogate grandma to them? A mum. They don't have their mum. Their mum's on the mainland. Their mum's no longer with them. Who wants to come? These are, there are bricks right now to be built. I, 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 I was trained as a goldsmith. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to need some goldsmiths to the glory of God. But right now there are bricks in front of us. Similarly, on Thursday, the drop-in guys. How many are coming now at the moment? You know, about 20. People who are locked in. It's the only time in the week they come out. Mike... Last week, nearly literally, physically carried somebody from the car because they couldn't make it in here. Thank you for the donation of the the wheelchair to help with that. There are bricks right here, right now. Some of us are perfume makers. Right now, I want to say to you, there is a great opportunity right in front of us to bring a beautiful sacrifice of incense to God the most beautiful sacrifice of incense to God by serving our children and young people. Right now, there are gaps. And I'm concerned for Ruth. I'm going to quote chapter 4 here. Her strength will give out. Now, none of us want that, do we? None of us want that. You see, we don't need to look around very much and wonder what we might do. Or even, and I know this one myself, I have to keep dealing with it and putting it to death, waiting to be asked or given a title. I've been very vulnerable about that already, haven't I? Shared that with you. You know, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to serve or I'm just going to quietly be here until somebody recognizes my gift. And then when I'm asked, I want to say to you, in fact, I'd like you to say to one another, we've been given permission. Turn to someone next to you and say, we've been given permission. You don't sound like you're sure. Okay, you've been given permission to stand in the gaps. Given permission. Jill would love some more people on the hospitality team right now, wouldn't you? How many are you sure on the hospitality team? Okay, we're managing. There's bricks right here, right now. Start building. Paul on the welcome team. There's other things we could talk about. There are people, there's people right here in the houses around who would love a visit, love to be visited. Dave and I have been having great fun going for walks with Mark, haven't we, Mark? (laughs) Every week we're going for walks with Mark, just standing with him, walking with him. I love verse 12. Personally, one of my favorite verses Shelem, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I just want to say to you, mums and dads, get your children involved. Get your children involved. Don't make church a chore or a burden. Catch them up in vision. 
Why have I got to do this? Why have I got to do that? Because I said so. No, catch them up in vision. Catch them up in vision. Help them to see we're about a great work. Come alongside one another and, and tell each other that we're about a great work. I want to just say this. There are those who are without children, or their children are grown up, or their children or grandchildren are not local. There are those here who'd love to be drawn into family life. I want to say to some of you younger families, how about adopt a granny? Literally, adopt a granny. Now, some of you have got that, and you've got that privilege. Adopt a granddad, an uncle or an aunt. My brother and his wife have got two quite young children, and for years they've had a, a lady who's similar to their age. She's like a sister in that sense, but they've adopted her, and she's become like a, a surrogate auntie into their family. There are people right here in this church who would love to be invited to do that. But there's also some of you who I want to say to you, There are young women in this church who'd love to have a mum come alongside them. They haven't got their mum here. They haven't got their dad here, maybe. They'd love that involvement and that link. I want to invite you to consider this. Pray about it. Think about it. I'm not going to put people together. I don't believe that's my job. I might occasionally, just like anyone else, think, that'd be great if this one got together with that one. And I'll say that if I feel that. I want you, though, to pray about it. Who's the Lord leading you to? Who, who can you come alongside, both young and older? Just want to mention Barak in verse 20, who zealously repaired. I love the fact that whole chapter, he's the only one. All right? For me, he's the Mike Cox. Okay? It's just every time I'm around this man, he lifts my spirit. All right? I do not know how f- he thinks so fast. I cannot get that comical brain. It's just, but there's, there's a passion. I'll honor you for that, Mike honor you for that. I want to tell you as a leader, this is a leader speaking to you, I love zealous people. I'm actually very forgiving towards people's quirks and their failings and whatever, and I have plenty of my own, but I'm very forgiving towards their quirks and their failings if they just have a better passion, if they're zealous. It's like, oh, they, they might be slightly odd. Yeah, but they're going for it. Rather than, well, they're slightly odd and they're like Eeyore over here, you know. It's my birthday. I'm very happy. Oh, you bought me a balloon, but it's now broken. <laughs> Barak, Barak zealously repaired another section. Do you know the thing about zeal and passion is it's also infectious? It's infectious. It catches other up. I, I like to believe, I'm, I'm reading things into the text. Paul will come and tell me about that afterwards, I'm sure. But I love to think that Isa on the one side and Merimoth on the other side would have had loads of um, encouragement from Barak. Come on, you guys, how's it going? Right, next half hour, I'll give you a race. Right, how many bricks in half an hour? He's that kind of guy. And you just, you know, you come in the morning and you're just a bit fed up and look at my hands. I was a goldsmith and now my hands are wrecked. Look. Come on, guys, let's go for it. And your spirit immediately raises. I love the spirit of encouragement in this church. I really do. We need to nurture it and we need to increase it. But it's wonderful. I need to tell you, you need to know not every church encourages each other in the way you do. But from day one, Jackie and I have felt so encouraged, so supported, so cheered on. Who are we cheering on? Who are you cheering on? You know, in terms of who's serving the tea and coffee, it's a bit grainy, isn't it? All right? That laugh there is not a laugh of... That is... People have done that. Oh, only got bourbons today. I don't feel there's an agenda. I, I'm just, I'm, I literally, you have no idea how much I'm busking it here by the Spirit. But that, are we those who are cheering one another on? Cheering one another on. Going to Hannah or Simon, Abby. Oh, it was a bit loud. It was a bit quiet. It was a bit fast. It was a bit slow. It was a bit flat. 
what you do serves us so wonderfully. Really does. It's thought through. So appreciate it. Now, I'm not asking you to be disingenuous. I'm asking you to be genuine. I'm asking you to be real. But let's get alongside one another. Cheer one another on. Cheer one another on. I invite you to stand. I cannot believe I got to the last page. Amazing. How did that happen? The Lord has just expanded the time, I think. Hannah, could, could you just help us with a, a chord? Could you? Let's just, we've got a minute. Um, Susan and others will be available to pray. I want to be available to pray. Like us to pray. Please don't forget your children in a moment. But let me just read a verse again to you. Chapter 4, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall until all of, us re- uh, all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. Now, it was not without some real challenges and opposition. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. There was some serious opposition. But they had caught vision, and they literally began to put their hands and their shoulder to the work, and the gracious hand of their God was with them. Just as we stand before the Lord. For those of you who would say, yeah, this is my home, this is where I'm based, this is my local church, I want to say to you, where are you building right now? I'm not saying you need to go public. I'm saying, where are you building? Do you know where you're building? If you don't know, think about some of the things we've said. Sure, ask me. I might point you to chat to others. Talk to life group leaders. Talk to your friends. Where can I build? Where can I build? who Who needs encouragement? Do you know who needs encouragement right now? Do you know who's got a bit bogged down in the work? Who can you be Barak to? Who can you be Barnabas to? Just come alongside Particularly, I just feel some of you may say, I've lost my zeal. I had that zeal. I would have been one who was cheering others on and leading by example, but life has robbed me or circumstances, situation, home, finance, whatever it might be. My zeal has been robbed. I believe the Lord wants to restore zeal today to his people. Some are running well. They're running in their lane. They're running with clarity. But some of you, maybe just a few of you, I don't know, just saying, I've lost my zeal. Lord, would you restore me again? I'd love to pray for you this morning. If you feel, I just, I want to be refreshed again. I want to run again. I, I, I want to be a Barak. I want to be a Barnabas. I want, to, I want to be a son, known as a son, a daughter of encouragement. I want to build and bless and strengthen and encourage. I want to tell you today that's only by the Spirit will you do that. It's not by pulling up some effort. It's not by saying, all right, I'll give it a go again. No, the the Lord says, sit at my feet, like he said to Mary. Sit at my feet. Come to the Lord. Be refreshed in him. Find your lane, to, to change the metaphor for a moment. Find your lane and begin to run in it. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to show you the bricks that are right in front of you, right outside your front door, in your streets, in this church, around and about. The other person on the other desk next to you at work. That person you often nod and say hi to at the school gate. Where are the bricks that are right in front of you? Just generally, I want to pray and then I want to invite you to come. Come and respond as we just continue and then please go and get your children. But Lord, I thank you. You're about a great work with us. Lord, as we look out today, we thank you. Lord, there was a day when we weren't together in this church, in this setting. There was a day, Lord, then we, some of us were far from you. Some of us didn't even know about you. And now here we are. And you've called us to a great work. 
Lord, you're speaking prophetically over us by visitors who are coming in and saying, do you know what God wants to do in this place through you? Do you know? And we, we, we bring our vulnerability to you, Lord, and we say, how's this going to happen? It's only by your spirit. It's only by your strength. Come and flood us. Come and fill us. Lord, thinking of that old verse, help us to be those who are willing in the day of your power. Lord, Lord, we just say, here we are, we're willing. What did Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. Here am I. Lord, I feel like I've only just got, I can only pick up one brick here and there. The Lord says, just start building. Start building with what you have right in front of you. I pray, Lord, for some who, who may just feel as young, younger couples, they want to go towards a mum or a dad figure in the church. Give them wisdom and grace for that. Lord, I pray for mum and dad figures and uncle and aunts figures in this church. Lord, give them grace to go towards others and be a blessing. Help us to bless one another. Help us to build one another and strengthen and encourage one another that we might see this kingdom swiftly growing. The kingdom of God, the power of God swiftly breaking in. Lord, we long to see this town saved. We long to see people being saved and added. Just say, come and just come and minister to us now. Just want to finally just pray for those who are suffering with self-image. Frightened about being rejected again. Frightened about what people will think of me or what I will think of myself. Lord, just let your spirit rest on your people. I pray for healing even today. Pray for those who've been let down, who who thought they were in some position and it got taken away. I pray for those who were on a team and then the team got changed and they got sidelined. Lord, I pray that they would know that they're a daughter in Christ. I pray they would know that they're a son in Christ. It's not about my position, it's who I am in Christ. It's not about my title, it's not about my badge. Lord, help us to pick up that trowel again and build and build and build until your kingdom comes or Jesus comes to take us. Help us in these things, Lord. Help us in these things. just want to release you. There is tea and coffee next door. Let's just stay in a a sense of uh, atmosphere of prayer. If you'd like prayer, please come forward. If you feel, do you know what? I've lost my zeal. I'd like to be prayed for. Do come forward. Let's just minister to one another. Be blessed and God.